Hello, and welcome to the Triple S Factor, the podcast where we deliver insightful, valuable, and unique business-related information on all topics from strategy, finance, resilience, and delivered with a dash of humor and fun. Today, we'll be talking about flexible working, or some might call it hybrid working. Some people call it remote working. Whatever you do call it, it is here and it is here to stay. World Economic Forum were talking about this years ago. There were a lot of studies, or should I say more so information that had been gathered around how workplaces and the workforce would look like in, say, 2025. And I believe this was around 2016, 2017, that they released this information. They were talking about over 40% of the workforce would become flexible uh, freelance workers, which obviously they sort of went in a different direction with it around how that would impact skill capability and how a corporation would be able to get good quality workers if your workers are in fact working for multiple places. However, what it also did outline is if a if over 40% of the workforce ends up becoming freelancers, then there is this massive underlying foundational push that no one in particular really saw properly, which was those people would be freelancing, therefore working for themselves, therefore working from home. So inevitably, you would have half of your workforce population working from home or some form of hybrid working, whether that is going into the office of their different employers or finding other places like hot desking, those kind of those organizations. Therefore, when we look at how flexible working or hybrid working moves forward, those sort of statistics would indicate that we were inevitably going to move to this position. So when it comes to flexible working, hybrid working, there's a lot of benefits of creating such an environment. There's a lot of corporations who are now moving to this model, albeit slowly, but as always, you know, when you when you're trying to move the Titanic for, you know, which a lot of these big corporations are, you can't just spin it around in in one quick turn. You've got to take your time and you've got to do it slowly and you've got to make sure that all of your staff and leadership team and Everyone involved is equipped to be able to accommodate such uh, such shift in how you operate daily. So looking at things like, obviously, when it comes to having less office space, that means that there's significantly more demand. So you might see some corporations that will have more remote-based offices. Or you might see some corporations that will decrease their office size, which some are already doing, or they might create more open space. This was a trend anyway, but you know, looping back around to not creating open space so that everyone gets jammed into the same room together, creating open space so that people can come and go as they need to. So, you know, so they might start the day working in the office and then they might have their meetings and then they might go home and finish the day at home or wherever, wherever they choose. You might find scenarios where corporations are willing to pay fees for a group of employees to come together in a more localized environment, in smaller office spaces, closer to pods. Uh, and equally, that has impact drastically across all aspects of how we work and play. 
by having more time at home, you've got less travel, which has a knock-on effect of less environmental impact. You get to decrease the congestion in the city, which most cities are inevitably trying to do. They want less cars in the city and they want people you know, using more uh, environmentally effective pathways of, of traveling or ways of traveling. But equally, what it does is, you know, it helps you build out your suburbs. So what we'll end up finding is that cities become a little bit more decentralized per se, as is most of our uh, economy. And we're moving to a position of, of decentralization through the likes of DeFi and blockchain and all of those things. So as you can see, it all sort of starts to mold in and, and has some form of albeit uh, not direct line, but I'd say a dotted line when you talk about the organizational structure of the economy, uh, you know, it has a dotted line to all these different impacts. The One of the biggest ones, obviously, is trying to release pressure in inner city hubs, equally looking at how we decrease the environmental footprint, because that's important to everybody. And as I said, it helps build the suburbs out. So you, you will get more mom and dad pop up businesses where they're servicing the local community and spending the money locally, using local suppliers. It really like kind of engages that grassroots growth of the economy, which inevitably helps elevate low socioeconomic and middle uh, socioeconomic groups, which can only benefit the overall society, community and humanity. And the other component to think about is how managers and leaders respond. So if you talk about the physical, yes, the office location, yes, that will shift, yes, that will develop, yes, that requires significant changes on behalf of the corporation and or the business by way of security, cybersecurity, uh, digital infrastructure, providing equipment, uh, all, all of those things that is more challenging for a business to control. But there's also the human side of it as well. So when you look at businesses these days where we are moving from a position of focusing on productivity to focusing on human happiness, and I think this is definitely a positive direction for us as a species to go. When we talk about a healthy economy, the healthy economy is also determined based on not just the physical money, you know, like how rich or poor you are. It's also about the health as well. So you can have some of the richest people in the world who are miserable and sad and depressed and suicidal and you can equally have you know low socioeconomic uh, poor people who are feel the same so you know the the wealth the wealth factor while it's imp a very 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 important way to determine whether someone is more prone to having external pressures on them it doesn't necessarily change the internal struggle that someone has by way of uh, you know, how they engage in their daily life. And so when you have a scenario where we're having to move more to focusing on human happiness instead of just productivity, people feel a little bit more like they are heard, seen, that they, the, the empathy comes into play, those soft skills that all, all experts have been talking about for years now around the future workforce. What is the future skill that is required? What is the dominant skill required for future workforce? Is the soft skill, soft skill, soft skill. So, you know, looking at your personality types, we really drill down into not just the, what is the experience, physical skill of the person that you have hired, 
but what is the personality and behavioral skills, soft skills of the person you've hired as well? And you will start to see that becoming a little bit more of a dominant or a factor in how people are interviewed and or hired. And that's purely because, yes, you do require the physical skill, you do require the experience to be able to execute on the work that you are handed, but you equally then need that soft skill, emotional intelligence to be able to work with a team in a flexible working environment to know how to properly communicate to your team members so that they feel like they are across what's required or they know what they need to do for you or they know how to help contribute to what you're doing and working with managers to move from a role of management, managing people to leading people and helping them round out their collaborative communication skills so that they have the ability to draw out information from their employees or their team members to be able to help them work together a little bit more effectively. And I guess what you would say, sort of put the puzzle pieces together of the personalities, right? So when when you think about the tapestry, when you think about puzzles, you know, there's a, a thousand piece puzzle and how do you put this puzzle together to make this one picture you know, when, you, when it comes to leading people, it's not that significantly different to that situation. The other thing about when a manager becomes a leader is that they step up to leading people and, and not just the productivity. So slight different to what we we're talking about before, where if when you focus from when you focus from moving from productivity to uh, the human happiness model, equally leaders get to step up and look at themselves in relations to how they lead people instead of just leading from a productivity perspective. So in the past, managers and leaders have focused very heavily on making sure that tasks are met, things are getting done, deadlines are adhered to, uh, you come in at a certain time, you leave at a certain time, Monday to Friday, all of these things that a manager has managed or a leader has, has instilled it becomes a little bit more nuanced now. So, you know, you as a manager or a leader, you're looking at how you accept the team members that you get that you work with and how you assess your own management and leadership capabilities as a result. So do you mind if your team member wakes up early and gets work done before the workday starts so that they can then go off and run some errands during what would be a traditionally considered work time and then come back to the to the role and if they do get their work done does that really matter if they take half an hour here or there to run to the post office or run down to the shop to get some lunch or a coffee having a look at how you react and and how you respond to your team members will ultimately dictate whether flexible working is successful or not in within your workplace and building trust with your team. So, you know, moving moving to moments of equilibrium. So, you know, yes, you are, you might be their manager or you might be their leader, but inevitably they know that, you know that. So how about working with that? So instead of constantly wanting to sort of dominate and, and dictate, looking at how we might work with each other more collaboratively, you know, and a lot of um, managers and leaders do this today, with the way that we've moved technology-wise, there's no longer the need for you to be able to 
dictate and determine and micromanage every move they make. You're, you don't need to be there to tell them everything anymore. They've got Google, they've got Alexa, they've got Echo, they've got Siri. There are so many different ways that an employee and a team member can find out basic information. How do I manage this Excel document? How do I put a formula in? They don't need you around to answer those kind of questions anymore. What they need you around for is what is the bigger picture of what we're doing here? How does, how does that work and how do I contribute to that? How do I help make this better? How do I help make this succeed? So you're moving beyond, you know, technology has allowed us to move beyond that moment of physically managing people's skill and moving more into helping us lead from a place of happiness, health, personalities, that real kind of human happiness model and, and leading people, not leading productivity, because they can Google that stuff anytime. The other thing that this also does is it really helps with workplace bullying and workplace challenges. Negativity and toxic environments is so rife these days with all the challenges that individuals have in their own life, let alone the challenges that they have once they get to work with the pressure of their role and what they're required to do. And if they're not meeting deadlines or they have imposter syndrome, they, they feel lack of confidence. They don't necessarily want to get teased about that. You know, flexible work environment definitely helps with that kind of feeling of uh, pressure, that pressurized feeling of not performing. The great thing about that is the leader, the manager, the leader can sort of take the reins on that and help everybody come from a place of understanding by way of, you know, this is all new. Everybody's going through this together. Let's do this as a team. Let's collaborate. Let's work on this. Let's be there for each other. Let's, some would say uh, in the 60s, kumbaya, the kumbaya moment. Others these days would say, come to God, Jesus moment. Um, whatever it is that, you, that the phrase that you use for this kind of situation, it is really about bringing everybody together and recognizing that we're all on the same path here that we all work in this company for a reason, whatever that reason might be. Some might just work there for the money. Some might work there for the passion. Some might work there because it's a stepping stone. Whatever it is, um, helping each other figure out what that is and us being more open and honest about why we are where we are. Equally, it helps from a leader's perspective to understand the motivation of each staff member on a deeper level because then you can work with them a little bit more thoroughly and a little bit more better. There's a really effective um, model, it's called the lens of understanding, and it talks about how, well, it shows uh, there's four different quadrants to it, which is get it done, get it right, get along and get appreciated. And those four quadrants really help determine how your team can function collaboratively together. So when you look at a, every single person has all four of those aspects, you know, we all love to get along, we all love to get appreciated, we all love to get it done and we all love to get it right. However, when you're under a lot of pressure, emotions are heightened, there's deadlines to be met, it could be that you need to increase revenue or there's a recession or, you know, people are stressed at home, the team environment's not cohesive, whatever it is, when people start to get under pressure, of which everybody has different degrees of how they handle stress, keep that in mind, then those different areas start to fall away. So, for example, you might have an individual staff member who thinks, you know what, I'm under pressure. I really need to 
to focus. I don't necessarily care if I don't get along with someone today. I've just got to get in and try and get this sorted, whatever whatever it might be, this deadline I've got to meet. So for them, you know, getting along might fall away first. But for another staff member, getting along might be really important to them. So if a staff member is sort of saying, well, you know what, I don't, I can't really deal with this right now. I'll deal with this tomorrow. I've got to focus on this today. That other staff member might feel like that person's being a bit dismissive. So it's looking at what is the, for each individual staff member, what is the list of priorities, I guess, or the, or the process in which those four quadrants fall away so that you can find their default. What is their default behavior that you can work with? So that default behavior might be an individual who thinks, when I'm under pressure and I'm stressed, the last thing I care about is getting along. Then it might be from there, yeah, look, I don't necessarily need to get appreciated. That doesn't bother me whatsoever. So that falls away. Then it's, do I get it done or do I get it right? Which which one would they prefer? Well, they mentioned before that they just needed to meet the deadline. So then that would say to you as a leader, they're probably playing with an 80-20 rule here. If it's 80% correct and it means they get it done, they meet the deadline, then they'll do that. But there are other kinds of people who would say, no, I need to get it right before I get it done. And that's really important to me. There are others that would say, you know what, when it really comes to the crunch and I'm up against it and I'm up against a deadline and I'm stressed as hell, I just want us all to really get along and be you work on this together to achieve it as a team. And then there are others that think to themselves, you know, I hope that my work is so appreciative of what I've done to try and get this done, this finished for them. I really need encouragement and I need to know that what I'm doing is right and I'm on the right path and that I know what I'm supposed to be doing uh, and that they appreciate me. So looking at each of those four quadrants, you really start to get a feel for how each team member, uh, what, what they prioritize in, by way of what they expect from you as a manager and equally what they expect from each other because that's important as well. A get it right person may may in some instances conflict with a get it done person because they've they've flipped their 80-20 rule. So a get it right person would say it needs to be 80% right and 20% get it done. And a get it done person might say it's it's got to be 80% get it done, 20% get it right. So it's definitely a, a situation that needs to be managed. And when you're talking about remote working, it's or, or sort of flexible working, it's even a little bit more challenging because you're not physically there to kind of get a feel for body language and get a feel for tonality uh, and, and how that person's thinking, feeling at the time. So as the leader manager, looking at how you work with, work with your team, work with other leaders and staff members, employees, team members, whatever you want to call them, uh, working on how you enhance the communication without overdoing it but equally making everybody feel like they're part of a cohesive purpose is really really important the other thing is it does actually help as as people do it more and more so like anything in life it takes practice practice makes perfect so they say therefore over time it would it would inevitably be easier for them and for you as the manager now don't get lapsed in thinking when you have that once you've got this sorted, you're fine. 
when you have new staff members come in or start, other staff members leave, some staff are under more pressure because others have left and you're waiting to hire, that changes the dynamic as well. So there's never, it's not a set and forget. It's always an evolving feast. And as the leader manager, you have to focus on the moving of the feast, not necessarily getting it set in stone and, and written in, in blood. Um, one of the things to give you an example of flexible working and how it can work really effectively is one of our businesses in Grudior was built based on flexible working from, from the very start. Uh, three years ago. And that business has everybody in the business is for the most part flexible working remote. So they do come into the office sometimes, but they mostly work from home or their home office or wherever it is they choose to work. And we also give them flexible working hours. So at any point in time, they nominate what days and times that they are most likely to be working. Um, and we try and work the business needs around that and they try and work their needs around the business. So if things change ever so slightly, so say they have nominal dates and times uh, that they have dedicated to do their work and we have something that comes through from a client that's urgent or it's an emergency or it needs to be changed quickly, obviously we all need to be a little bit agile and flexible around that. However, for the most part, the nominal hours and days mean exactly that. That's the timeframes in which we can expect to contact them and they would, for the most part, be working. Anytime we contact them outside of that, chances are they won't respond to us straight away, but they will respond to us when they get back online, whatever that looks like. Now, that hasn't come without its challenges. There has been situations where we've, we've had to spend a lot of time with the staff to help round out what that looks like, especially for traditional models of business where you walk in at a set time, you leave at a set time, you're, you're concentrated in, in your work hours at that particular day time um, and you don't have to think about work outside of that. You know, that, that does take a little bit of time to shift. But for the most part, when you give your team members and your staff the, the flexibility to, and education around how they can manage their own time and manage their own life, um, they tend to take to it like a duck in water uh, very quickly over time of course there's always this transition period the other thing that we do to try and keep everybody together is we have microsoft teams so we talk on that regularly as required we've got email if it's more urgent we have text messaging and or calls we have a team meeting uh, on microsoft teams every week and then we have a broader team catch up once a month face to face where we will go out and have lunch together and we'll go through our things, you know, bigger pieces, the bigger strategic pieces of the business that we want to get them across and they contribute to so that we get a, a more of a broader input from the team. And that seems, you know, we've been doing that for three years now, that seems to be quite well received and appreciated by the team to help with contribution and, and making sure that they feel part of the process. The other thing you can do for team members is, you know, as we move to I was talking before about physical skills and soft skills. You know, when we look at moving forward, personal development or professional development will focus in on more uh, soft skills because you as a manager leader will be challenged just as much as the staff team member. And that inevitably makes it more collaborative because everybody's in it together. And when you think about how 
the most important skills will be communicating and how we communicate, the regularity of communication. Some people, introverts may not like a lot of communication, but some extroverts might like lots of communication. Some might have imposter syndrome, so they need to be really handheld through processes. Others might think, you know, others might be very autonomous and think, I know what I'm doing. Just give me the direction, give me the overview, and, and I'll work on it from there. Figuring out as a leader manager where that sits will be really important for you and constantly assessing your role as a leader manager, making sure that you yourself are evolving, that you don't know it all, that your team doesn't know it all. Everybody is working together more collaboratively. So that's how flexible working can be more effective and the areas that would be really good to focus on. One of the key things I would say as a takeaway is always look at yourself first to see how you are reacting, responding to a situation. No matter the level you are, you could be CEO, director, leader, assistant, whatever, whatever it is, coordinator, whatever level you are at, always look at yourself first and very critically, but kindly, critically and kindly, and make sure that are you contributing to the situation in the way that might be helpful? And if you feel you are, it's a matter of then working with your other team members with the perspective of the lens of understanding to try and get a feel for where they're at and where their headspace might be and what pressures they might be under. And then working together from there to create that environment that thrives, that helps your business organization thrive. That's it for us today. We hope you found this episode enlightening. We look forward to talking to you soon on the very next episode. It has sadly come to that time again where we have reached the end. It is our purpose to bring value and information to enrich your organization and your life. Don't forget to subscribe to us, The Triple S Factor. Until next time.